Thanks for listening to the Declaration Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Sherrill. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. Well, welcome. Thanks, everybody, for being here. It's going to be a great day. It's a significant day, three years today. I remember uh, our launch day like it was yesterday. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's been three years, I'll tell you that. Um, so I'm deeply thankful. Can I say how thankful I am for you, how, how humbled I am by you? Um, it is the privilege of my life to be your pastor. So thank you, thank you for being a part of this church, and I hope that it's family for you. So not only is it our three-year birthday, but it's also week four of our series called Established, and we've been talking about what it means to be a deeply rooted, established follower or a disciple of Jesus. Paul tells us this in Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. He says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. That's continually walking with him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him, established, following. Man, that thing is going to really mess my world up this morning. <laughs> that light there. All right, so over the past few weeks, we've been talking about going deeper with God. I've been preaching through some points that I believe God gave to me during um, one of our weekly prayer services a few weeks ago. And as I was praying for our church, I prayed that we, um, both individually and corporately, would become unified around just being absolutely passionately in love with and enamored by the person of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, and the passion of Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we really honed in on the person of Jesus, who he is, what he's done on our behalf, um, taking our place, paying the price of our sin and our disobedience and our brokenness that we deserved to pay, pouring out grace and mercy over our lives, grace um, being G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense, the riches of God lavished upon us at the expense of Jesus Christ, paid for by Jesus. Grace also being defined as giving us that which we do not deserve. Mercy also, mercy being Jesus renewing us with new mercies every morning, new mercy available to us every morning. Mercy meaning not giving us what we do deserve. See, there's a fact that Jesus intercedes on our behalf even now. Even now, I want you to be so encouraged, no matter what it is that you're walking through, no matter what you've been going through, he's been an intercessor from day one on our behalf, and he still intercedes on your behalf. All that he is doing in our lives, day in and day out, that we would be so overwhelmed by him, that we would be so undone by him. I said it a while ago, an Isaiah 6 type of encounter with him, that, man, we would be wrecked and ruined for anything and everything else because of the person of Jesus that we'd be completely emptied of our sin and completely emptied of our self to be solely filled by who he is. Also, last week, we took some time to look at the purpose of Jesus and and how we saw um, the purpose of Jesus was and is people. It's people. He came, Luke chapter, chapter 19, verse 10, he came to seek and save out that which We're lost. See, he's the good shepherd. He's the door. He's the access. There's no other way for man to have access to God. There's no other way for man to have um, eternal life or abundant life but through him and him alone, through Jesus. In fact, John 14, 6 tells us this. It says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, meaning he is the message, the method, and the purpose. He's the meaning of life. 
And there's no way to God but through him. He came for us. The purpose of Jesus is people. We saw this in the text last week in the book of Romans where Paul instructed us in Romans chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, and we'll read it again together. Paul, remember who Paul is, surname, Saul, um, Jewish, um, understood Rome, <laughs> persecutor of Christians, stood by almost applauding, if you will, when they stoned Stephen. He has this Damascus Road absolute encounter with the glory of God. It completely wrecks him for anything else. Here he is, and he says this, I am convinced that Jesus, the Messiah, was sent as a servant to the Jewish people to fulfill the promises that God had made to our ancestors and to prove God's faithfulness. And now because of Jesus, he says, the non-Jewish people of the world can glorify God for his kindness to them, fulfilling the prophecy of Scripture. Because of this, I will proclaim you among the nations, and they will hear me sing praises to your name. Now, I want you to notice the end of verse 9, what Paul says. Because of this, I will proclaim you. I will glorify you. I will declare you, praise you among the nations. And they will hear me sing praises to your name. See, Paul was absolutely enamored by the person of Jesus. So much so that he was willing to surrender it all, no matter the cost. He was willing to give it all away, to walk away from the pedigree, to walk away from his, his, his position in life, to walk away from whatever it is that he needed to walk away from, so to claim hold of, of Christ. He's enamored by Jesus. Jesus had changed his life completely, and now we see Paul living this thank you life, living for the purpose of Jesus, which was people, both Jewish and non-Jewish, Gentile people alike. And it's also right here, I believe, in Romans 15, 9, that we begin, or Romans 15, 8, 9, that we begin to catch a glimpse of what I think is seeing the beginning of the passion of Jesus. So look at it again. I'm going to read it again. Paul says, I'm convinced Jesus the Messiah was sent as a servant to the Jewish people to fulfill the promises God made to our ancestors. He's, he's thinking all the way back to Abraham and to prove God's faithfulness. And now because of Jesus, he says, the non-Jewish people of the world, and here it is. Watch these two words. They can glorify his kindness to them, fulfilling the prophecy of Scripture. Because of this, I'm going to proclaim. I'm going to declare. I'm going to praise. I'm going to glorify you among the nations, and they will hear me sing praises to your name. And now, because of Jesus, it's not only the Jewish people or the non it's, it's It's all people can glorify God for his kindness to them. See, in this text, Paul, he's speaking of promises and proof a little bit. Jesus fulfilling God's promises of blessing to the people of Abraham, that through him, all the peoples, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Look at Genesis 12, 3. I've got three different translations for you. In the NLT, it says, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. The CSB says it like this, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Peoples could also mean nations. So the Amplified translation says this, and in you, all the families or nations of the earth will be blessed. See, Jesus was on mission with a mandate from God. Mandate meaning that he was entrusted with this task of lasting significance. See, I believe that the person of Jesus, God in flesh, God incarnate, came with this mandate, this purpose entrusted to him that would have lasting, significant, and eternal ramifications. Jesus came so that people 
can come to personally and intimately know God, find freedom, discover their God-created purpose, and also make a lasting, eternal, significant difference for the glory of God. See, in that, I think behind that, there's more. Behind the purpose of Jesus, Jesus had this passion. And the passion of Jesus truly was the glory of God. Please listen to me. While Jesus had purpose of rescue and reconciliation back to God and redemption, he had passion for the glory of God. We see this in Genesis 12. That's where all things, the turning point, all right? If you go through Genesis 1 through 11, it's like the introduction to the Bible. And all of a sudden, 12 all the way through Revelation is the rest of the story. And we see it right there in 1 and 2. Go to the land that I'll show you. He says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you become a blessing to the nations. Now, understand blessing. Let's just pause for a second, and we'll, we'll get to it here in just a second. But blessing, we can't think of it like the way we think of blessing. You know, some of us are like, God bless me with a Mercedes. <laughs> you know, this is not what he was talking about, all right? He's talking about more of a corporate, familial, lineage, legacy type, man, something that is going to be profoundly done over you, a favor, if you will. And so he's saying, you know, I'm going to bless you so that you in turn become a blessing to the nations. Go to the land I'll show you, God says, and I will make you a great nation. I'm going to give you offspring, Abraham. I'm going to give you lineage, Abraham. I know it looks impossible, you old man. I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you a legacy, Abraham. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great so that you will in turn be a blessing. Abraham, I'm going, to do, I'm going to make something great of you and your descendants. Follow me, Abraham, and I am going to use your life for my ultimate glory. It's going to be difficult. It's going to require trust. It's going to require um, humility. It's going to require obedience. It's going to require faith. It's going to cost you, Abraham, but you will be blessed in this. And if you'll follow me, I'm going to use you to literally bless the entire world, all nations, all peoples, all families. And in turn, what will happen? God will receive the greatest measure of glory because from the line of Abraham, Jesus would come making a way for mankind to forevermore also give the greatest measure of glory to God. Jesus, from the line of Abraham, fulfilling prophecy, and because of this, now we are grafted in. Through our submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ, we have this privilege to follow Jesus, which means to look like Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to live like Jesus. This also means the things that Jesus loves, we should love. It means the way that Jesus lived, that's the way we should live. It means the things that Jesus was passionate about, we should be passionate about. It means that his purpose should become our purpose. He calls us to be his followers that we will declare who he is. We will declare his mighty acts for the sake of others and for the greatest measure of the glory of God. We were created for the glory of God. We were created for the glory of God. Colossians 1.16. I love the verse. By him all things were created. Skip down. All things were created through him and what? What? For him. Isaiah 43, 7, bring all who claim me as their God, God says, for I have made them for my what? Glory. glory. I've made them for my glory. It was I who created them. If you will, look at Ephesians 
chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. We've been kind of dancing in Colossians and Thessalonians and Ephesians. Look at all these things that Paul was saying to these churches. He says this right here in verse 4 through 6 of chapter 1. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, meaning joyfully set apart to him and for him. So we should be Holy and blameless, meaning justified, just made just as if we had never sinned in the first place, to be innocent again. So before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him, in Jesus, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. It says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Verse 6, to the praise, to the glory of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, this is the parts that I was talking about last week that I said, for my more reformed friends this week, this week's going to be uncomfortable for you because we were talking about the purpose of Jesus being people. For my non-reformed or my lesser reformed friends, this week might be a little bit uncomfortable for you, but everyone just hang on with me, and I think that hopefully we're going to get to something that's satisfying because here's the truth of the matter. It's not about us. (laughs) It's about what God has that he desires to do in and through us for the greatest measure of his glory. You start throwing big churchy words like predestination around and everybody starts tensing up and getting uncomfortable. Now, if you don't and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I was, uh, I was raised up kind of in the 80s and 90s. That was my spiritual development. The 80s and 90s were all about how smart theologically can, be we, can we be and how, how might I pontificate my position on theological matters that is seemingly more smart than you. And by the way, I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> That's the way it was growing up in the 90s as a student, if you will. And it it made me think about Titus chapter 3, verse 9. I want you to to see what it says. It says this, avoid useless controversies, genealogies, pointless quarrels, and arguments over the law, which will get you nowhere. (laughs) Nowhere. See, we've made an art out of argument in the name of theology that is causing division in the church at large. Can I say this? The last thing I desire for our church to do ever is to argue about anything, especially seemingly controversial differences of theology that will not help people come to Jesus, but more so may cause people to run from Jesus. I know we're 31 flavors. I know I say something every now and then that somebody's like, Ooh, you know? Yeah. And I, and here's the truth of the matter. I don't have it all figured out. Man, I I thank you so much for your grace. I'm not the same person I was three years ago, and hopefully three years from now I won't be the same person I am today. But you're so generous and graceful in allowing me to grow up in front of your very eyes (laughs) as a pastor, as a teacher, because I really bootleg the gospel. I really sing for, that's what I did for a living, right? (laughs) But Just a joke. Everyone calm down. All right. Um, Here's what I hope to do today. I hope to shine a light on this topic. I just lost my place. I hope to shine a light on this topic in a different and encouraging way. That's what I hope to do, all right? So may I propose this, that on matters of, um, it, it, it matters the lenses that we look through, okay? It matters the lenses that we look through to try and understand theology, which means the study of God, or even to understand God himself. 
It matters the lenses that we look through. I'm not talking even this morning about systematic theology or whatever hermeneutic you choose to subscribe to. I'm talking about having a biblical worldview versus an Americanized worldview. And here's what I mean. If we go by the American way of thinking, somehow we end up becoming the point of the story. We end up becoming the point of the story. So every scripture that we read, we read through the lenses of the context of me being the point and purpose of everything. You know, that, 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 that we are the center of everything. And, and I read this last night, you know. It might be that we're um, the center of something, but, but we're not um, the, the, the centrifuge of all things. Just the piece of it. And so it's... I just want us to think about this through different lenses. I've been saying this for weeks. We are such a vital, important part of the story. We really are. We are, a, we are such an important part of the story. God absolutely loves us. Look at John 3, 16. We looked at it last week. It says, for this is how God loved. The what? I'm sorry, the what? That God absolutely loved the world. That he gave his son, his one and only son as a gift. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting eternal life. So yes, we are absolutely a big part of the story. We are the purpose, I believe, that Jesus came. And while we are a big part of the story, still yet we're not the point of the story. God is. God is the point of the story. This is the point. The point of the story is God. He's the point. It's all about him. And the passion of Jesus is God being the point of the story. The passion of Jesus is the glory of God. His purpose, people, rescue, reconciliation, redemption, reconciliation back to God. In fact, if you start in this book and you read, you will see that by, by the time you get to Revelation, that all things that were created are to be redeemed and reconciled back to God for his glory. So his purpose, yes, redemption and rescue, our lives redeemed, but for what? For the glory of God. Our sins forgiven, but for what? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. So that we may love him and thank him and live our lives dedicated to declaring the greatness of God and giving God the glory that he deserves. The glory of God is the passion of Jesus. Look in John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. Jesus knows his time for the cross is coming. And look what he says in 27. He says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray? Father, save me from this hour. And then he says, no, no, no. But for this very reason that I came. And look at 28. He says, Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice from heaven says, I've already brought glory to my name. And I will do so again. <laughs> So check it out. The passion of God is the glory of God. So therefore, the passion of Jesus is the glory of God. I mean, look at what God even says about our forgiveness. Isaiah 43, 25, the Lord says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins. And look at this, what he says, for my own sake. And I will never think of them again. See, for my own sake, he's saying, I will do this for my glory. Can you see through some different lenses this morning? As, as I've been saying, we are, listen, you're, you are a very important person to God. And you're an important part of the story to God. He created us in his image to bear his image, to reflect his image for his glory. When Jesus left, he entrusted us with this message and the mandate to carry the passionate message of the gift of the gospel, the life-giving gift of the gospel to all of the world, to all peoples, to all families. He gave us this authority. 
You're an important part of the story. He sent Jesus for the purpose of redemption of people. Question, here's a great one that people argue. So did Jesus die on the cross for us or for God's glory? To which I say simply this, and it's not a cop-out. I believe it because it's what I read. It's both and. I completely trust the sovereignty of God, and I also trust that he is giving mankind free will to choose to love him, to choose to obey him, to choose to trust him, to choose to follow him, to choose to receive the blessing and be the blessing. See, Galatians 5, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump, a little too much liberalism over here, a little too much legalism over here, a little too much charismatic stuff over here, which by the way, the church charis grace. I mean, I think y'all need, we need to all study that a little bit more. But also a little too much you know, Calvinists over here. And in the meantime, right in here, right in the middle, right here, right here is this fence, right? That's Jesus. He's not riding the fence. He is the fence. And we're the ones that want to pick a side and argue and throw rocks back and forth saying, we're right, no, we're right, no, we're right, no, we're right. I absolutely believe it's both in. I believe Jesus came to the cross Yes, for you and for me, for the purpose of the redemption of people to carry, to be the container of the glory of God. But also, Jesus most definitely came to the cross for the glory of God. He said so himself. The purpose of Jesus was people so that we could be reconciled to God. And the passion of Jesus was the glory of God. So in humility, obedience, and willingness, Jesus goes to the cross so that we could be reconciled back to God for the greatest measure of the glory of God. I believe what Paul was talking about to the church at Ephesus when we see in in Ephesians chapter one, verses four through six, was not us being the point of the story, reading it through the lens of me and you, but reading it through the lens of God being part of it, Jesus being the point here. Jesus was the focus of the passage more than mankind. Let me read it again, verse four. Even as he, God, chose in him Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. Basically, his prior knowledge of our destiny was for adoption to himself, as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. See, when our focus is on Jesus being the point of the predestination in this context and not us, it makes me see God in a whole different way. And I hope it does you as well. For God so loved the world, he sent Jesus on mission with mandate, his purpose, people, redemption, reconciliation, rescue. This was God's plan since creation to purchase our redemption and adoption before the foundations of the world. Understand this. This was not God's plan B because of the fall of mankind. This was always God's plan A. And so he knew he was sending Jesus. Jesus was present from the very beginning. And so he says, even as he chose us, In Jesus, before creation, remember Jesus was there in Genesis 1. Remember Jesus was there in John 1. That we, so that we could be made holy and blameless before him because of Jesus. And in love, he predestined us for adoption. See, we can't stop reading it, he predestined us, and then start freaking out. Because he predestined us from the beginning for adoption. There's more to the sentence, bringing more to the context. 
The heart of God was not to pick and choose which ones he liked and which ones he didn't, which ones could have eternity and which ones could go to hell. The heart of God was not, I love you, I love you, I love you, I lo I'm trying really hard. It wasn't that. <laughs> he, pre he predestined us for adoption. We have to read the whole sentence to see the whole context through the lenses that God is the point of the story. He predestined us for adoption to himself to be made sons and daughters, holy and blameless through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Colossians 1. To the praise, to the glory of his glorious grace. So there's the, there's the why behind the what. To the glory of him which he has blessed us in the beloved. See, God's goal was our rescue and our adoption through Jesus. This was his plan from the beginning. We were created and chosen for the glory of God. Do you see it? People are the purpose of Jesus, but the glory of God is the passion of Jesus. Look with me for just a minute, if you will, through the first five verses of John 17. It's often called the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying for his followers. He knows the cross is imminent. I mean, it's right there. It's coming. He had just finished talking to his followers about his disciples, about the Holy Spirit, and he was preparing them for when he was going to depart, and they were confused. And, and so look at what he prays. He says this. He looks up to heaven and says, Father, the hour has come. Notice what he says. Glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. Oh, don't miss this, okay? Listen. I absolutely believe that Jesus completely loved people. So to lay his life down for the purpose of rescue and redeeming people, he loved them. He loves you. He, he loves you. Can I also say this? You were part of that storyline. Jesus in John 17 praying. If you keep reading through, you'll see he prays for all followers through all time. You were part of the story in the garden as Jesus is agonizing, going, God, if there's any other way, let, let's do that. But he always comes back to, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. And you saw him just earlier. Should I pray that this could go different? Of course not. It's for your glory. Jesus absolutely loved people. He laid his life down. He loved them. And we're part of that love. But look, as he knows that the hour's at hand and he's about to lose his life through an absolutely barbaric and horrific form of, of complete abuse and execution, he prays that no matter what, that he would be glorified so that he can give the greatest measure of glory back to the Father. That's what he prays. You know, I, see, the passion of Jesus is the glory of God. So much so, he's willing to die for it. So that's the stirring question, I think, that God um, invites us to as, as disciples, as followers. Is are you willing to die for this? Do you love me so much that you're willing to die for me? Follower. Glory container. <laughs> Disciple. And you know, our context, we don't see the martyrdom much, right? I mean, that's everywhere else. Do you love me so much that you're willing to spiritually die for me to self? 
to carry the cross, no matter the cost, that you'll count the cost and still come to me. Do you love me that much? The passion of Jesus is the glory of God. He goes on saying in verse 2, for you've given him, he's speaking of himself here, you've given him authority over everyone, and he gives eternal life to each one you have given him. See, even now, Jesus knows that it was God who gave him the authority, and it was God who gave him the ability to give this gift of eternal life to people. Even in the statement, Jesus gives credit where credit is due, and in the statement, Jesus is giving glory where glory is due. And he says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, God. Let's just pause there. Maybe this is step one for you. God is always inviting us into a next step. He says, to know you. Maybe step one for you is to simply acknowledge God, to to come to know God. He's always inviting. Maybe right now, even your heart's beating a little fast. You feel a little nauseated because you know God is, he's he's pointing right into you, saying, man, I want to, I already know you, but I so desperately want you to know me. I want want you to know um, the fruit of forgiveness, which is freedom. I, the, I believe freedom is the will of God for your life. And he's saying, I want you to know me. Maybe, maybe today, your first step, you would just simply surrender and say, Jesus, I want to know you. I need forgiveness. I recognize that, that I've tried everything on my own, and it's, it's, it's left me empty, empty, empty. I need you. And so Jesus is praying. He says, this is the way that they have eternal life, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. And he says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, watch what he says. Bring me into the glory that we shared before the world began. Now, think theologically through the lens of God being the point of the story. Genesis 1, Father, Son, and Spirit are present. You see it. John 1, Father, Son, and Spirit. And Jesus is praying here, and he's like, I know it's about to happen, and I'm, I'm okay with it. Just, just, just get glory from this, God. May you receive all glory from this. And God, you, you gave me the authority to give the ability for mankind to have redemption and reconciliation and rescue and hope and peace and joy and love and abundance and eternity. You gave them to me. And this is the way to eternal life, to know you, God, the only God. And through me, Jesus, who you sent to this earth, I brought glory to you because I've completed the mission that you've sent me to do. I've completed the mandate that you placed upon me. Now, God, please bring me back home. Please, so that we can bring me back into that glory that we shared before creation. Bring me back. God, pray this grips your heart that we would be so enamored by the person of Jesus with the knowledge of what's about to happen to him, no matter the cost, he's willing to submit and surrender and lay down his life for the will and for the glory of God. To offer salvation to those that God had given to him and so that he could bring the greatest measure of glory back to God. The passion of Jesus was the glory of God and we are supposed to be like Jesus. We are to imitate Jesus according to Ephesians 5. Like Jesus, may our passion burn for the glory of God. See, there's not a more prolific or, or, or maybe not even a more passionate preacher about the glory of God than John Piper. 
And Piper said in one of his Desiring God articles, he said this statement, he says, the glory of God is utterly relevant for everything in life. He wanted to say, if we encountered the glory of God and we saw the greatness of God, we would not be so greedy or covetous. He says, if we encountered the glory of God and we saw the greatness of God, our eyes would not stray after lustful images or thoughts. He said, if we encountered the glory of God and saw the greatness of God, we would not get angry and say things to our kids the way that we do. He said, if we, encor- if we encountered the glory of God and we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't pout and get so hurt, so easily fra- fragile and hurt in our marriages. He said, if we encountered the glory of God and we saw the greatness of God, we would not worry about our looks so much. If we encountered the glory of God and we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't spend so much time watching mindless and sordid and defiling media content. If we encountered the glory of God and saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't get so discouraged with the evil and godlessness of our culture giving it more glory than giving the God of all creation who literally speaks words and creates worlds, who breathes and cosmos are created. We would give more glory to him. He's got this. If we encounter the glory of God and saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't give into our appetites and overeat in boredom and depression. Can I also submit a few? If we encounter the glory of God and saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't give politics priority over the preeminence of Christ. We wouldn't allow social media to define our identity, but rather our identity would be defined and realized in who the person of Jesus is inside of us. If we encounter the glory of God and if we saw the greatness of God, we would not dare give our affections, our attention, our adoration, and our allegiance to a sport or a team or an extracurricular or a hobby. As good as those things are, our job, our careers, our kids, our education, our opportunities, our advancement, all these things are great, but they're terrible gods. And they're not fulfilling and satisfying. If we encountered the glory of God and saw the greatness of God, we would not be able or willing to bow at the altar of all of these good gifts given by the hand of God, but rather we would appreciate and appropriate giving all affection where it truly belongs, giving him the greatest measure of glory that we can give. See, our lives should reflect the passion of Jesus, which is simply that our passion, like Jesus, should be the glory of God. If we encountered the glory of God and saw the greatness of God, we would be so moved and motivated to live our lives as a living sacrifice, declaring the greatness of God through the life-giving message of the gospel, understanding that Jesus has called us to go, to declare his mighty acts, to live as ministers on mission. Our hearts would break for our neighbors and neighborhoods. Our hearts would break for cities and continents. If we saw the glory of God and, and, and encountered the glory of God. See, we're to love people. We are who are being sent right now to serve for the glory of God and for the sake of others. But can I ask this question? How can we expect to be sent to declare the glory of God if we are first not stunned and stained by the greatness of God? May we be absolutely enamored by the person of Jesus May we be found so deeply grateful for the purpose of Jesus. And may we become so profoundly passionate about the passion of Jesus today. May our lives burn for the glory of God. Church, this is what being a rooted, established disciple and follower of Jesus looks like. So that our lives would be established 
so that. There's something on the backside of that. We are a blessing to others because we have been blessed by God for the greatest measure of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your greatness. Thank you, God, that your glory reaches further beyond the stars. Thank you that you are mighty and able, that God, you hold all of creation that we have realized and all of the cosmos beyond that we will never know in your hands, yet intimately you are aware of every detail because you love us so deeply, so profoundly. Father, as a church, I pray these things become so important to us. God, that you would unite us around these things, the person of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, and the passion of Jesus. God, bless us so that we would be a blessing. Father, may we embody the gospel as your ministers on mission, living for the glory of God and serving for the sake of others, all out of deep and thankful love for Jesus. Stir it up, God. Let it rise up in us. Let us not be able to sit comfortably. Move. Please, God, move in us. pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, we come to the table today. And if you, for the first time, even in the middle of that message, just said, Jesus, I need you. I want to invite you to the table. If maybe even right now, before we come to the table, before we even begin to respond in this way, if you would say, you know what? I've been religious but I need a relationship with Jesus. And you would call upon the name of the Lord. That's what the Bible says to do. I want to invite you to do that. It will change your life. It does not mean that your life will be easy. In fact, sometimes I would submit your life might get a little harder. Because a call to, to follow Jesus, it's a call to the cross. But you will live an abundant life. And you have the promise of eternal life forevermore. Rescued from eternal separation from God in hell, which is a horrible, horrible, horrible thought. Father, never, may that never be here. Anybody. And so simply, Jesus, I believe and I need you. It starts there. But this morning, as we respond to the Lord, we come to the table and we remember he was whole that night when he gathered his disciples in that upper room and he took that bread he said this is the bread of life it represents my body sinless perfect Jesus and willingly and obediently and humbly he took that bread and he broke it. And this is what it meant. The body of Christ broken for you. See, he was willing. He was whole. We were broken. He was willing to be broken so that we could be made whole. And then he took the cup of wine. The cup of salvation filled with wine. And he said, this wine represents my blood that, that I will spill 
to cover your sin, to purchase your redemption, to give you the ability to be reconciled back to God, access to God, friendship with God, to give you the ability to be forgiven and be set free. He was full and we were empty, but he emptied himself willingly, humbly, and obediently so that we could be filled. And he said, I want you to take and eat and drink, and as you do, declare my death until I return. So we come to the table remembering, and we come in a worthy manner, clean hands, pure hearts, humble, receptive, thankful, and we take that piece of bread that represents the broken body of Christ, and we dip it right into that juice that represents the blood of Christ, and, and we eat and we drink it, and we declare his death until he returns for us again, and he's coming back for us. So can we respond in that manner, in humility, in gratitude, in joy, in remembrance? And this morning, can I just say, it's a scriptural thing. I want to, if you're here this morning and you've not yet submitted your life to Jesus Christ, um, I just want to say a blessing over you. But I I also want to tell you, the Bible warns us about when we come to the table, the way we come. And so so if I can, just let me say a blessing over you. And and when you're ready to submit your life to the Lord, then come to the table. But beforehand, I want to just honor him in the word and say, just hang tight where you are. God's working. He's working in you. But for those of us who say, yes, Jesus, we confess. Give me clean hands and pure hearts. This is a beautiful thing to do with God. And can I tell you this? I believe he does something supernatural in this moment. I don't know what that is. But he meets with us in such a profound way. So as we respond to him, I'm going to ask you. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Podcast. I pray today that you feel encouraged, loved, and hopeful. If you missed us this week, join us next Sunday at Snyder Elementary in Spring, Texas at 9 and 11 a.m. We can't wait to meet you and welcome you home. Have a blessed day and see you soon.